Welcome to Templo Talk, a Mayans MC podcast. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, managing editor of The Playlist, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike D'Angelo. And this is the podcast where we talk about everything Mayans, which is airing its fifth and final season on FX right now. And so, Mike, are you ready to get cooking on this episode? Yeah, let's blow our temp load. <laughs> wow. No, okay. too, too much too much eye-rolling punnage. <laughs> it was just coming out hot. Um <laughs> That's what she said. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> yep. You can cut um, it out. You can cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this, uh, God, you wouldn't know it by by what we're talking about now, but this really is a podcast where we talk about serious biker drama, Mayans <laughs> MC. Uh, and in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, the latest installment of season five, which is episode three. But uh, at the end of this discussion, as always, make sure you stick around. I have a new interview with the share with you guys. Um, and this time I got to speak with Emily Tosta, who plays Letty on the series. Um, so stick around for that. It's pretty great. But before we get to our discussion of episode three, I got to tell you that Templo Talk is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast, Deep Focus, The Discourse, Bingeworthy, and more. And if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, anywhere else you find your favorite shows. Okay, Mike. Where we last left off, uh, things weren't going very well for Easy. No. No. Can we, I, I just want to say, when we got these screeners delivered to us... Oh, yeah. Explain this, please. <laughs> they laid it out to us that so that three was the top screener, two was the middle screener, and one was the, the, the bottom screener on, on how they, they laid it out in the, the app and the site. So I started on episode three <laughs> thinking it was episode one, and then we figured out slowly in our discussions that I had not watched them in order at all. And yeah. In so, fact, you watched so now, them backwards. <laughs> yes, I watched them backwards. Very confused by like some of the previously on kind of stuff. I'm going, <laughs> I don't remember that. Huh, let's just roll with this. I don't Okay. Maybe it was from a different season. Um, but yeah. I, so these episodes are so jumbled in my mind. Regardless, <laughs> I'm glad we got it figured out. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, just to pull back the curtain. What what he means, though, is that we were recording the previous podcast where we were talking about episodes one and two. And uh, he starts talking about things in episode one. And I'm like, I don't remember any of this stuff happening in episode one. Come to find out he was talking about the events of episode three. Yeah, which we're going to get to today. Yeah. And so you guys have watched episode three. I assume if you're listening to this, we've seen one, two, and three. And so when you watch episode three, it starts with a bang. It starts with easy and the Mayans uh, doing a raid of a drug house where they want to kidnap the cook so that they can start making fentanyl. I imagine that was very confusing if you hadn't seen the first two episodes, <laughs> um, but this makes complete sense. Well, kind of, you don't know what they're doing exactly, uh, but you, you soon find out that easy's master plan, which is where we left him at episode two, where he's like, you know, angels fearful for his, his kid's life and the rest of the Mayans are just beaten and bruised and Easy's like, yes, here we go. Next step of the plan. And <laughs> the next step of the plan is that he wants to uh, cut out the cartel from the pipeline. Basically, he wants to be the new cartel where they make the drugs in the U.S. in you know Southern California so that they don't have to deal with border patrol or any of that stuff. They don't have to deal with the cartels at all. And they sell directly to the prisons and the gangs and whatnot. Yeah, what could go wrong cutting out a government-backed cartel? You know? <laughs> it's it's not a great plan. Um, but anyway, it makes for a great uh, opening scene because it's it's this weird – it's not weird. It, we see the Mayans, uh, the Santo Padre Mayans, like 
break into this house. You don't actually see what's going on. You hear gunshots and screams and whatnot. And and it's from the perspective of Angel, who is just kind of like he's he's clearly at this point in in his story arc just done with all this shit. He just wants to be home with his kid. So he's out there trying to make sure nobody leaves the stash house. And in doing so, he sees the cook and the cook's hiding under the house and he chooses to let him go. And uh, what ends up happening, though, is Angel's like, oh, yeah, I didn't find anybody. They're like, damn, where's this cook? And then one of the other minds says, oh, I found this guy trying to escape. And it's the guy Angel tried to let go. And so even when Angel tries to do something good, it's it's just not to be. So what did you think of this kind of explosive opening, Mike? Well, as the beginning of episode one, it's very confusing. But as you're building up to it, it makes a lot more sense uh, with Angel kind of, you know, being at a place where he's he's asked everyone to back off specifically easy in the, in his the previous brother. episode, his brother. Um, and easy just doesn't hear him. It seems like he just blows him off completely. And to to ask your brother, like, we're going to die here. You're going to, you know, separate me from my son. Someone's going to get killed. And then to just have him go, wonderful, and we're <laughs> upping the game. Uh, that's just got to mess with your head, which obviously it is doing, as we see later on in the episode where he has this kind of great sit down with Bishop. But we'll get to that in a little bit. But just Angel's Angel's mindset, I would be out of there at this point. But yeah. I, I'm not as, you know, obviously ride or die with the, the Mayans as Angel. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little more difficult than that, right? Like we've seen this in Sons. This has come up quite a bit in, in this universe where guys want to get out, but you just can't get out. Like, what are these guys going to do, right? Like they're criminals. They have no like resume to speak of. They can't just go and, and figure shit out. This is kind of the life that they're kind of destined for. But yeah, it's that conflicting feeling of Angel saying like, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt myself or my son or my, my girlfriend. But then again, what else am I supposed to do? Because again, this is my brother. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't want to necessarily leave his brother to die either. So no. he's just kind of trapped between a rock and a hard place at this point. Yeah. So so they kidnap the uh, the cook. And uh, to be continued on that for a second, we we flash to Emily Galindo, who we haven't seen in a minute. Um, the scenes we've gotten with her in season five have been, I don't even think we mentioned her in the last episode, but she's now uh, kind of under the thumb of Miguel again. Um, after the events of season four and she's unhappy again and she's now trying to plot an escape which this has to work right because Galindo has basically said if you ever try to leave again I'm going to kill you and so the the stakes are, are have never been higher and she's trying to figure out her escape through a grocery store it's a pretty cool scene where you, you kind of see that she's plotting something um, and, we, and we don't know what just yet and we'll just go ahead and fast forward to later in this episode where we do find out that Emily's plan is to ask Easy uh, to provide a kind of a, a a car with no papers that she can have at this grocery store, so that her and uh, Cristobal can just get in the car and drive. What do you what do you think about uh, this this turn of events with Emily and Miguel and Easy being involved? Uh, I mean, it, it's another thing where you're like, you're you're between a rock and a hard place. Yes, you want to get out um and and save your kid but this is never going to work <laughs> <laughs> it does have that feeling of inevitability like this is just yeah. she's going to try and she's going to fail like this is just this is bad news all around yeah yep she's trapped her kid's trapped 
And yeah, she's never going to leave the kid. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, and then so the bulk of this episode, I would well, maybe not the bulk, but a large portion of this episode is uh, with the cook who we mentioned earlier, um, who the Mayans have kidnapped. And they are trying to convince him to, to make fentanyl for them. Yeah. And uh, they offer a pretty good deal. They're not trying to hurt the guy or anything. They're basically saying, we'll pay you more than you're making before. Just make it for us now. It takes some uh, some convincing, but eventually we have Bottles, um, who's the new prospect with the Mayans, and he is given the prospect job of being the the, the cook's friend uh, or the cook's like assistant. And uh, we get some good scenes like because <laughs> there's the language barrier uh, and the cook's trying to tell him to put on goggles. And he says, goggles. And he's like, no, no, no. My name's Bottles. He's like, goggles. He's like, no, these aren't goggles. These are my glasses. They're, that's why they call me bottles. And then, you know, ha, ha, ha. It's just a little bit of a, a little bit of punnage in the show. Welcome so. to Fentanyl Fun with Bottles <laughs> and the Cook. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice little lighthearted thing where, you know, you get. And they also show the danger of it, too, with the, uh, you know, at one point, Bottles, like, knocks over some some chemicals and. And it almost really like leads to death for them. So you get yeah, kind gotta, of the weight of what they're doing, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, he's got to like shovel all that, whatever it is on it. I don't know if it was salt or what it was to, to kind of neutralize it. But yeah, 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 scary stuff. Scary stuff, which I mean, if you've seen Breaking Bad, you know how volatile this stuff is. So yeah, yeah, not mm -hmm. not a good not a good time if you don't know what you're doing. Then uh, so that's that's a lot of that the the Mayan stuff is is the drug stuff but we do get some a lot of side characters in this episode and one of the side characters that gets the spotlight is creeper um and to me one of the coolest scenes in this season so far is is creeper who has just stabbed like what like a dozen times maybe a, a lot and he's been in uh the hospital or i guess like the recovery infirmary of the the prison and he's trying to walk out to the the yard where everybody's you know doing their outside time and he's like hobbling like you could he's like barely standing and then he gets to where people can see him and he just forces himself to stand up straight and to walk all cool and mm -hmm. it, it, it says a lot about like his situation and his character and all that uh i thought it was really neat yeah yeah it's heartbreaking the the situation he's in but also he was you were you said it he was stabbed like 12 times a scream six amount of times <laughs> and if you get that reference you're my kind of people um and yet he survives and it's just yeah i i don't i don't know what it's gonna it's gonna take to to take creeper down but i wouldn't want to mess with him <laughs> well in uh the previous season they they show like their scenes with him and his uh his girlfriend who turns out to be fed and they're going over all of his scars the man's been shot like so many times and stabbed and he's been through the ringer so yeah yeah change his uh, name to the reaper <laughs> oh boy um uh, and then uh we get a couple scenes with uh well we get yeah a scene with Felipe, uh, Edward James Olmos, and Miguel Galindo. Again, Felipe is trying to do his best to be like, I don't know if he's just trying to like be a dad or just trying to do right by by the love he had for Dita or what. But uh, he's he's trying to approach Galindo with like some pictures and some letters, just as like a you know a, a show of good faith. Um, and Galindo says, "You come here again, I'll murder you." Yeah, well, he's a, he's a guy who's on the, you know, the later side of his years and he realized he never got to connect with his son. So this is 
it's totally understandable. And like time and time again in this show, in this episode, even the the elder statesmen, as it were, are kind of called on and asked for advice by the younger people who are kind of in the, the trenches, as it were. And every single time they are they give great advice. They all of these guys have turned more or less peaceful, whether it be Marcus or Felipe or even Bishop is telling uh, you know, certain characters to to run and get out of this life. And they're all being told that just stop, turn around from what you're doing. We've lived this life. We've been in this war. And every single time it's just like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it, it is. It is infuriating. But yeah, it's it, again, it, you, it's all they know. So it's yeah. it's tough. Uh, we we also finally get to see uh, what's been going on with on the Fed side of things with uh, Lincoln Potter uh, coming back to speak with Agent Devlin, who's played by Dana Delaney, which is cool because she's kind of a, a legendary actress. Anyway, she's trying to figure out what's going on with this paper trail she's discovered. And Lincoln Potter being Lincoln Potter drinks a, a little a little bit of milk out of a straw and <laughs> gives some some philosophical discussions uh, and then basically threatens her and says, uh, stay the fuck away. You don't know what you're doing. Yep. Yeah. Lincoln <laughs> Potter. Classic. Gotta love, gotta love Lincoln. <laughs> uh, then we get on the fed side again, we get creepers girlfriend turned fed, uh, who gets fired from her job. Finally, Jesus Christ. <laughs> She is probably the worst Fed ever. She deserved to get fired. Um, and her her parting shot is she steals an ID from her boss, goes and finally gets the um, the information about the mole. Uh, but everything's like redacted. So there really isn't like a, a thing saying like who it is and and what they did and, and all that. So she doesn't really know much. Um, but there's right. that. Yeah. Uh, then let's get to some of uh, my favorite stuff here, which is Letty and Hope. Last we saw Letty and Hope, they were doing these little drug deal robberies. They're they're just getting a couple hundred bucks, but they finally get like a big score. And as we predicted last episode, it doesn't go well. Um, <laughs> Letty and Hope are not master criminals. They botch a robbery. They barely make it out, but they do get what was it? it was like 15 grand or something. It was a lot of money. But on the way out, Hope notices that one of the guys uh, running this kind of drug den is uh, a guy she recognized from meth mountain which uh then immediately freaks her out she begs letty to like let's leave we gotta leave this guy's gonna come for us blah 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 letty says this is all i have left this is all i have of coco and hope says yeah you're right let's let's stay um knowing again full well this is gonna end badly but you know whatever yeah uh, who knows what that white power looking motherfucker is gonna do because he is insane yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he lived in a place called Meth Mountain. So, I mean, <laughs> come on, man. Yeah, it's not good. Um, <laughs> but then we get to the scene which we've been hinting at is this amazing scene with Angel and Bishop. And Angel, after all this is is going on with him trying to get easy to stop this war, and now being a dad, he goes to Bishop, knowing Bishop's history. And if you've you know paid attention, you know Bishop had a kid. Um, uh, something happened. It, we it didn't work out and Bishop no longer is uh is a dad. And so Angel asks him for advice and says, you know, I, I want to be a dad, but also there's this life, but I don't want him to bleed over into each other and blah, blah, blah. 
And, and I, I wrote down what Bishop replies with, because I think it's pretty powerful. Bishop tells him, if I could go back, I'd take him and I'd hold him and I'd never let go. I'd get out of here, be a fucking janitor if I had to, be whatever I had to be just to be a dad. I'd let all you motherfuckers burn for just one second with him. And as a father, and you're a father as well, you totally mm-hmm. understand exactly what Bishop's saying. Yeah. Yep. And it's heartbreaking. And yet Angel stays, you know? Yeah. Again, over and over, you're told, you're warned, this is going to end badly. And it's almost like they're just saying, hey, wait till the rest of the season. (laughs) It's not going to go good. You take this as they're bracing the audience. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people are saying it in different ways over and over and over again. That It's just foreshadowing, like, you stay, you die, or someone close to you dies. And that's kind of the, the, the story that happens over and over again. Yeah, when I, I I had an interview with Clayton Cardenas uh, at the end of season four, well, I think it was middle of season four. Anyway, uh, I was asking him if if he ever thinks that there's a happy ending for Angel, and he said a happy ending would just be that Angel lives, um, and and that kind of sums <laughs> Not it up, if his right? Son doesn't, right? Well, that's what it is. It's like now, now we know that there's there's really not even the actors involved, like just everybody knows there's probably no happy endings for anybody involved here. Um, it's more just mitigating the damage and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see what happens, but yeah, we'll, we'll it's yeah. And even those that get out, like Marcus is in like the, the scene or the scene after just, yeah, let's talk about that depressed about, you know, being a civilian and not being happy. Yeah. So we get a couple scenes with Marcus this episode where he's, at first, he's confronted by his his young daughter, and she's like, you know, trying to talk to him, and he's ignoring her and, and just being super depressed. And she's like, you're just not here anymore. You know, you're just not living with us anymore. Um, and, and that pisses him off. And then later in the episode, we get the scene where he's just like shooting the shit with one of the other uh, older Mayans guys, one of the presidents. Um, and they're joking about the good old days. But it's clear in, in this discussion that Marcus is just unhappy he's he's going to be a dad again he doesn't want to necessarily be a dad again at this age and he he misses kind of those days where they were just wild and young and and doing crazy shit on motorcycles um but all this is just it's just causing issues with his family um and then it ends with him asking you know how's this war going and the guy's like nah dude we're not talking about that (laughs) yeah which you can't blame him. I mean, the guy, again, he's trying to tell Marcus, like, dude, just be happy. <laughs> like, yeah. you got out. Be happy. And Marcus just can't. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, I guess, with these minds. Yeah. What do you What do you think is going to happen with Marcus? Can you predict what, where we're going with this? I mean, he's obviously coming back at some point, right? Whether it's, you know, uh, leaving the family that he's kind of established or, you know, worse that they get, you know, hurt and he has, he has to go back uh, or he's just kind of sucked back in regardless, just because of everything that easy is about to bring down on them. Yeah, it's just it's crazy. I, I really do think Marcus is going to get caught in the crossfire and it's going to force him to come out, you know, For like sure. that's what that's what it's going to be. It's, it's Marcus is too too tied to the Mayans, but he's just he can't leave this unscathed. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Uh, and then we don't really get Isaac in this episode, which is kind of a bummer because me and you have turned into to fans of Isaac. <laughs> if you can say a fan of all the things that he does. But but he's he's definitely a lively uh, character. He is entertaining. Uh, that's for but, sure. But we do get a bit of Isaac characterization through other characters this episode when 
uh, we catch up with Jess, who is flirting with uh, one of the Mayans. But she's she's definitely turned over a new leaf. She doesn't want to be the the son's rat anymore. She doesn't want to, you know, do that anymore. But but her sister is tied to the sons and, and Boston Terry. And so she goes to their house and they're just talking. And Boston Terry comes and says, so what information do you have? She's like, I'm not giving you anything. And Boston Terry is so scared of Isaac that he beats the crap out of Jess and begs her for any information just so he doesn't have to go empty empty handed back to Isaac. Uh, it says a lot, right? Yeah. And, you know, having seen the previous two episodes, you understand why anyone would be afraid of Isaac. Yeah. He's just, he's insane. But also like, again, what engenders such loyalty in these bartenders that they just <laughs> shit on repeatedly over and over again? <laughs> I, I think it kind of goes back to why these guys are in a MC anyway, which is just they yeah. have, they they really just have this desire for family, right? Like they have this this need for some sort of connection, and they're not necessarily you know the smartest people in the world. Not everybody was like easy with like Stanford scholarships and whatnot, mm. and and this is kind of the family they've made. Um, so yeah, I don't know, but yeah. It, it, it does kind of push the limits of, of my loyalty for sure. If I was in that position, I would just have to, to drive to, you know, Arizona or something. I gotta get out of there, you know, but, <laughs> but they stick around. For sure. uh, we get a sweet, uh, after the, the discussion with angel, we get a sweet scene where Bishop goes to his new girlfriend and, and basically says like, I'm here to profess my love. And, you know, they have a sweet scene. And then we get the end, which is we get, Easy's latest scheme. <laughs> I Which sigh is even because, better. Yeah, I sigh because it's just it's it's almost painful to to recount here. Um, he so the cook and bottles they make uh I guess a kilo of fentanyl, and it's good like it's it's quality stuff. And Easy's scheme is to drive to uh, that guy Cole who um, was threatening angel and and his family and say like we will supply you with the drugs instead of the cartel and uh all you have to do is just pay us instead of the cartel and we'll we'll take care of it and the guy says the guy threatens a little bit and then eventually the guy says okay cool we'll do this but here's the deal i need 10 times this in three days or i'm gonna murder your family <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah you're like you're like oh shit come on easy yeah. And then him and Angel talk in private and Angel's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And Easy's and Easy basically says, I don't know. Right. Like, <laughs> I don't know yeah. what I'm doing. I'm just trying to keep, keep us alive. You know, there's an easier way to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, I get it. Right. Like, it's a good plan it, in the sense that, like, it would work if they had the means to make it work. But they clearly don't. Yeah. It's uh, going to be they need to like build up some redundancies as far as cooks goes, too, because God knows if, as soon as that guy gets shot, they're fucked. <laughs> right. There there's so many. It's such a a, a thin plan yeah. that it's it's tough to to think that this is going to go well. And and like we said last episode, as we've seen with with the first two and now this Easy's plans are not great. Uh, he's clearly struggling and he's clearly desperate. Mr. And... Stanford over there, Mr. Genius. <laughs> I mean, you you almost feel bad for him because he did all this manipulation to get where he is. 
And and we did want, like I say we as a viewer, I wanted the war too, right? Like the Mayans were, you know, they, they needed to fight back, but it's just, it's gone so badly. Yeah. They need to go out in the middle of a giant ass parking lot and just go to battle. Just let it, <laughs> let it all rip. Get it over in one go. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe that'll happen. Um, yeah. So the, the episode ends with Creeper on the phone with Hank. And uh, Hank's like, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And Creeper's like, there's a fucking rat in the club. And Hank's like, what? What'd you say? And he goes, there's a fucking rat in the club. <laughs> and Hank just turns around, looks at the club and cut the black. Um, I don't know what that's going to mean for future episodes. Uh, but yeah, there there's going to be some infighting as if that wasn't a difficult situation enough. Now we're going to have infighting and, and suspicions and yeah. Yeah. Who Who's the rat? Who do you think? Well, I mean, the, it's got to, you, you immediately think it's easy, right? Really? Well, I mean, easy isn't the rat, but he was a rat. Yeah, he was. So I don't know if it's a current new rat or oh, if it's, if they're just finding out about easy's time. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, we'll find out the, the files were redacted. I think it was, uh, I, I'm trying to remember because they, they went by so quickly. I think it might have been Easy's stuff. Um, obviously, if it comes out that Easy uh, was a rat, that would be bad for uh, his position as president of the Mayans. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if it's somebody new, that's that's a whole other can of worms. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Every well, everyone's actually a rat, and they just don't know that. Oh, jeez, that would be that would be that would be something. Um. But yeah, I, I honestly don't think, I mean, I don't think it could be anybody else. I think this is all reference to easy stuff. So yeah, man, that would, that would really bring some shit down on him. Not only are the sons after him, but the minds would be after him too. Yeah. 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 So uh, that, that's episode three. We're, we're still in the planning stages of this season. You can tell, but uh, we, we've now kind of got to lay of the land. We know what easy's master plan is. It may not be a great plan, but it's his plan. <laughs> um, so what do you what do you think any any ideas on what what we can expect moving forward i uh, yeah i don't know i think it's going to be a lot of chess moves until the last few where it's just going to be all out anarchy like yeah. people are going to be chipping each other off as far as the suns and the mayans goes and the rats going to get you know sussed out more and more and then all of a sudden it's just going to be chaos yeah <laughs> and i can't believe this is going to be a happy ending no no the happy endings is is gone um mm -hmm. but I, I'm curious. Last year around this time, we got we got Coco's death. I don't know if there's uh, maybe a, a big death coming or, or oh, something. Right. Yeah. They but I I, I do think that I do think that we are coming to a point where we're going to have to have one more confrontation with the Suns. Um, we'll oh, see. Yeah. And obviously, things are going to come to a head with with Galindo because you have to imagine uh, Miguel's going to find out that uh, that um, Easy is going behind his back. So that's mm -hmm. gonna that's gonna be fun, right? <laughs> Maybe we'll finally get the bombshell delivered that uh that Miguel and Easy and Angel are brothers. Yeah, it won't it won't fix anything. Not between them. No. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess that's it for, for episode three. Mike, thank you again for joining me and talking about it and earning your patch. Um <laughs> Stick around. Uh, after this quick break, we're going to have my interview with Emily Tosta, where we're going to talk about Letty and Hope and and inevitably some cocoa. So uh, stick around for that. Well, it's a pleasure meeting you. 
It's so nice to meet you. So I'll just get into it. Before we talk about season five, I want to talk about your experiences with the series as a whole, because you were there from the very beginning, but your role really kind of grew coming into season three with the whole Meth Mountain Coco stuff. Um, so I'm curious, when you started the show, did you think that you'd eventually get your time to like kind of have one of those starring moments like in season three and four and now five? So when I first came into Mayans, I remember I was 19 years old and it was back in season one. And I was told that I was only going to do maybe two or three episodes. And that was kind of going to be the arc of my character. So it was definitely a surprise for me when they kept writing for my character and they kept writing for my storyline. So yeah, I mean, I, I was super excited to be a part of the universe. I watched Sons of Anarchy. So it was amazing working with Elgin and working with everybody. So I, I definitely was really happy when my storyline kept going further with Coco and now with Hope. So it's been a really exciting time. It's been years of my life now, so. <laughs> That's crazy, yeah. Uh, so let's talk about Coco, and specifically let's talk about his death uh, last season. Um, season three was rough on your character, Letty, because you had to watch Coco descend into this addiction. Um, but then seemed, things seemed to get really good with Coco and Hope and you, and everything was great, and then he's suddenly taken away. Um, and it happens in such a way that it's so matter of fact. And I, I talked to Elgin about this, and, and you know he has personal connections to this sort of thing. And so when you found out that Coco was was going to pass in the show, were you hoping that it was like a joke or did you think that maybe they'd have a change of heart or were you just like, yeah, this makes sense? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely heartbreaking because my relationship, the relationship between Lady and Coco had finally started growing. It was almost like we finally got it together. Since season one, we have always struggled so much. We had so many differences. We were always arguing. We were always kind of almost like backstabbing each other, lying to each other and going through all of this turmoil in our relationship. So it was really heartbreaking that finally when things started looking up a little bit for us, when I started feeling like I was being taken care of and I was taking care of him and we had a home together that we were trying to build. So the same way the audience was heartbroken, I, Emily and Letty was also heartbroken, but it was kind of like, I mean, that's the universe. That's that's how the universe is. You never know what's going to happen. And it's so unpredictable and it keeps you on your toes. And that's that's the reason why we keep coming back for more. When did you find out? Was it when you were handed the script or did Elgin pull you aside and say, hey, this is kind of the arc this year? I did. So Elgin is really incredible at, at, you know, providing us with the information whenever he's developing something like even prior to the season, like I kind of already knew where Letty's storyline was going. So that's why I'm, I feel so lucky to work with somebody like Elgin James, because he keeps the actors in mind so much and he's such an incredible leader. So that's I usually know this information a bit prior for sure. That's good. Because uh, I, I just imagine, you know, reading the script and you're seeing like the last page. Right, and, the... and then being like, what's happening? <gasps> and then just, it comes as a surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was heartbreaking. Um, but let's let's also fast forward a little bit because Letty also has a moment towards the end of last season where it's the funeral. And you really see uh, her anger come out uh, because of Coco's death. And and specifically, she's angry at the Mayans. And, and she says something to the effect of, you know, you guys don't deserve him or you never deserved him. Do you, do you think that uh, Letty will ever forgive the Mayans? And do you think that she should? I think that if you think about it, Letty has everything that's happened in her life has come from the Mayans. Everything negative that's happened in her life has come from the Mayans. When she was friends with Gabby, which is the character that Sulem played, I mean, she was, 
you know, taken away from her and it was by the Mayans. When she had issues with hope, it was because of the Mayans. When something happened with Coco, it was because of the Mayans. She lost her father and it was because of them. So she's been building up all of this anger and all of this frustration towards them. So of course, I think that the path of forgiveness for her is going to be nearly impossible because everything that stemmed from these men have, have come with such negative impacts to her as a whole and and it's like every time that letty wants to like rise above ground and like something you know is looking up then something else happens and it's usually stemmed from them so i think it's definitely going to be a really tough path of forgiveness for her yeah and so let's let's talk about the relationship you mentioned with hope uh because really what what kind of grew from from the the tragedy of coco's passing is that uh letty and hope developed this this relationship and it's it's odd. I, I I would love for you to describe it to me because at some points it feels like they're sisters laughing, being silly. At some points it feels like they have to take turns being the caregiver. Um, but what do you think is the core that like brings them together? I think that in the beginning of their relationship, what really brought them together was both of them mourning the loss of Coco. And I think that, you know, sometimes grief brings you together and, and it allows you to connect in other ways that other life experiences wouldn't. And I think for them, it was that, that grief really brought them together. And then they were left without anything. They didn't have the person that they looked up to. They didn't have the person that was like the father figure for me. They didn't have their partner for hope anymore. So I think that really brought us together and we almost found like our strength and our love with each other. And that allowed us to grow. I mean, now we're sharing a household together and that Coco's not a part of anymore. So now we have to step up to the to the plate, like you said, and be caregivers. And we do kind of take turns because it's sometimes like, I think Letty can be a bit impulsive. <laughs> and I think that that's where things differ from them. I think Hope starts thinking about things more and she kind of thinks things through as opposed to Letty. It's just like, let's do this. Like, let's be impulsive. Yeah, we can do this. And she kind of just goes for it. So I think they balance each other out a lot. But they definitely do exchange a lot of the caregiver roles. And yeah, it's just, it's Letty's impulsiveness that that leads them to fight. So they have yeah. like a great relationship still sometimes. Let's let's talk a little bit about season five because we've only seen three episodes now, but what we've seen is that uh, you're, the, the story is so fascinating because it's rooted kind of in a very real dilemma. You guys just need money to pay the rent. And it's something that, it, to me, it strikes me as a very kind of Elgin James thing because he wants to talk about the realness and the, the the consequences of this life. And Coco didn't have a retirement. He didn't have life insurance and he didn't pay his bills, which is a very real thing. So when you found out that Letty and Hope were going to turn to this like world of crime, robbing drug dealers, what did you think about that development? I thought that it was exciting. I thought that this was like a twist and I thought that it also makes sense. You know, it's like the lifestyle that Letty has grown up in, the people that they're around, the the life that Coco kind of brought her into. I mean, it makes sense for you to almost like resort to some of these things in order for you to make money. And at the same time, it's a little bit quicker for them at the moment. But of course you see Hope is a little scared. She's reluctant. She doesn't really want to get into this. But Letty, being, again, incredibly impulsive, does want to ask Louis for help and ask Louis for the resources and ask Louis to help her with these deals and, like, so she can be a part of them and essentially hope as well. But, yeah, I would say that it's it takes a really interesting turn. And, and I'm excited for people to watch how it kind of develops into something else in the rest of the season. But so far, I mean, a couple of things go wrong, as you guys were able to see, like, now in episode three, especially, like, you know, 
it's it's a dangerous world to walk into. So of course there's going to be things wrong. And I swear, Letty thinks she's invincible, but it's like, girl, <laughs> I have a gun to your head. You are not invincible, <laughs> but she still somehow gets away. So I think that's funny your perspective on that because, like you were saying, you know, you've been on the show for so long since you were probably Letty's age, and now you're you're probably a few years older than her in the the story, but you have that sort of feeling because I'm, I'm an older man myself. And I look at that as like, oh, she's a typical teenager, thinks she's immortal, thinks nothing can bad will ever happen. And it, I, I think it's refreshing that you're able to kind of see that too. Yeah, but- it's so funny. She swears that nothing bad is ever going to happen to her. She's so fearless. It's like <laughs> she fears nothing. But I love it at the same time because it's so empowering playing a character like that. And it's so cool to see that on television, especially as a woman of color. I mean, I'm Dominican. So it's like, me playing a character like this is amazing. So I, I just love it. I, I love the way that the writers portrayed her, especially this season. I feel like they make her so badass and she's almost like an action figure in some of the things that she does, like when she busted in through the door and like kicked the guy. And it's just really cool. I, I love what they're doing with Letty this season. You mentioned uh, uh, Letty needing money and, and and going to Louis about like, you know, possible jobs. And there's a moment when he mentions the sex work, which is something that is uh, that's how we're introduced to to Letty at the very beginning is, you know, she, underage sex work, which is a, a terrible, terrible thing. Um, what did you think about that? Like, because to me, it felt like this is kind of a uh, almost a conversation with that that sort of storyline and just saying, like, that's not OK. Like, we're we're past that now. Absolutely. And I think when Louis says that, Letty's reaction kind of, you know, implies like, don't even go there. Because obviously, this was a time that it's not like she wanted to do this. It's not like she woke up and was like, yeah, this is what I want to do today. It's just kind of what she was brought into, you know, and and again, it's kind of like that easy money and, and you grow up in these certain circumstances and environments that lead you to make some decisions that you might not be proud of later on. So I think that's what it was for her, which is why when Louis brings it up, she's like, this is not what I want. (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? How dare you disrespect me like this? I'm asking you for something else and for a different type of help. So it's a very interesting dynamic between Louis and Letty as well, because I think from the beginning, since we have seen their relationship, it's that love, mostly hate (laughs) relationship. (laughs) But at the same time, they've developed this friendship for years and and she has gone to Louis for certain things. And and I think that, that she feels like he's the only person that can really help her in a situation like this. Yeah. And and you mentioned being a younger actor in the show, but you're not just younger. You are a woman in a cast filled with guys, uh, macho biker guys. And I know that Elgin has made a point in hiring women behind the scenes, but you're still one of the the few major women in front of the camera. So what has that been like playing such a strong young woman in a show filled with just like muscly dudes? I'm not going to lie. It's been pretty incredible because all of these muscly dudes have become like a family to me. And, and I know they have my back and, and I have such a great relationship with every single one of my castmates. And I'm super lucky that we've become such a family throughout the years. But at the same time, it's an honor to portray such strong female characters like the ones that Elgin and the writers have been able to write for us. And I think that they do such a beautiful job at showcasing the layers of what being a woman is in whatever circumstances each character is in, you know, whatever Adelita's going through, whatever Emily is going through, whatever Letty and Hope are going through. And I think that they they showcase these layers of like vulnerability and they showcase that we're not strong all the time. You know, we're human beings, we break down. And at the same time, we we go through these life circumstances and everyone's dealing with it in their own way. And I think that I, I love that. I feel really lucky that we get to be a part of something so cool. 
And and you mentioned also your age and, and how you've been on this show for what is now kind of a large portion of your life. Uh, what do you think is kind of like the biggest takeaway you'll take from your time uh, doing five seasons of Mayans? Wow, so many things, uh, so many lessons. I was actually talking to Emilio the other day about this and the fact that I, I've spent most of my 20s. I mean, I started when I was 19 and I'm 25 now. And I think I grew so much as a woman and as an artist. And it's thanks to both the cast and the crew. I think I have learned so many things when it comes to my craft from Elgin, from Vanessa Joy Smith, from our writers, from, I mean, the incredible crew that we have. Like there's so many things behind the scenes that I have learned that I, I make me the artist and creative that I am today. And it's thanks to them. And then at the same time, there's so many life lessons I've been through on the show that not only made me a better creative, but also made me a better woman. So I think overall, this experience is something I'll take very, very dear to my heart for the rest of my life. That's awesome. So uh, I know we can't do spoilers. So I'm not going to ask you spoilers, but I do want to know if there's anything you can tease about where Letty goes in season five, if there's anything like specifically you're excited to see. Definitely. I would say... Um... Letty's going to, I mean, you guys have already seen how kind of badass she's stepping up to the plate. So you're definitely going to see a lot more of that. And she's going to get into a lot of trouble. A lot <laughs> of that is coming for Letty. <laughs> That's exciting and scary, but great. Yeah, um, exciting and scary. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll let you go now. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Uh, we're excited to see kind of where Letty and, and Hope also go this year. But thank you so much, Emily. It was great. Thank you for watching and thank you for your support. I appreciate Bye. it.